Welcome to the Go To Thrive Podcast, the place to inspire people in the workplace and go to thrive. Mary Jane Roy and Vivian Aqua want to make happiness the new norm and offer solutions to create higher engagement in the workplace. Our Go To Thrive Podcast guest of today is Laura Putnam. Laura is the author of Workplace Wellness That Works and is CEO of Motion Infusion, created to organizations to get in motion and on a path to a sustainable well-being culture. Her ultimate goal is to see employees thriving and engage at work. Welcome, Laura! <laughs> Thank Hello, you so much! Laura. <laughs> Hello, Laura. And, and Laura, let me uh, start off by asking you, can you share with our audience something about who you are? And please include something they won't find on your LinkedIn profile, as well as why you're doing what you're doing. Well, the first thing that you definitely won't see on LinkedIn, uh, I have one ear that is connected and the other one isn't. It's called a, a partial expression of a dominant gene. So um, that's one thing. But uh, I think, you know, basically kind of why I do what I, why I do what I do is I remember not too long out of college and I was trying to figure out what was really my purpose and the work that I wanted to do and how was it that I wanted to, in my own way, create a dent in the world. And, um, and I really kind of narrowed down to that I, that I wanted to bring more joy to people, uh, to myself and to others. And I, I love to laugh and, um, and that's something that I feel like, um, we all need a lot more of. So I think that that's kind of fundamentally why I do the work that I do. Great. Thank you. And I also curious about the personal side of you. So can you share a favorite quote and why this resonates with you? Well, I actually have three. Okay. Um, <laughs> and the first is, uh, it's a Thomas Edison quote that I love uh, and it really resonates for me in the work that I'm doing, but also for anybody who really wants to make a difference, which is most people miss opportunity because it's dressed in overalls and it looks like hard work. And then my second uh, quote that I love is Maya Angelou quote, which is my mission in life is not merely to survive, but to fully thrive and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor and some style. And then finally, the last quote, which I think about a lot, is a Mary Oliver quote, which is, tell me, what is your plan, um, what is your plan to do with your one wild and precious life? I'm, I'm nice. loving it. I'm yeah. loving it. And it makes me even ponder and think about <laughs> how I would, you know, answer these questions. Thank you for sharing that with us. And, and in keeping with that theme, uh, Laura, the, if you if you could take a month to travel anywhere, and this will help the audience get to know you even better, mm. where would you go, and and why? Um, so when I was a little girl, we lived in as a family. We lived in Ethiopia because my dad was working for USAID on a malaria eradication program. And uh, while we were there, while we were based in Ethiopia, he. Uh, traveled a lot through Africa 
And if I could go anywhere for a month, uh, travel anywhere, I would love to retrace all those places that he went outside of Ethiopia. And, um, you know, so much of that um, is I, I lost my dad in 2005. And so much of the work that I do, um, I feel like it's in some ways very similar to the work that he did, uh, although he was coming at it more from a medical angle and I'm coming at it more from an educational angle. But both of us really helping people to live healthier, happier lives. And I would love to be able to do that as a way to be able to reconnect with him. That is so amazing. And it yeah, even reminds so. me of the story that you shared and why I clicked with you from the get-go is you you had a, a connection with Ghana. Mm-hmm. And I'm Ghanaian. So, <laughs> and also what you share about your father. I have that same experience with my grandmother who uh, passed away too soon in my experience. And that's one of the reasons why I'm advocating of about workplace wellness mm-hmm. and leading a better future from starting mm-hmm. from the workplace. So thank you for sharing that. It really struck a chord within me. And, and I have to say, Vivian, one of the things that I love the most about living in Ghana was, um, and you'll love this, is the, the, the fact that the first question they asked me was what day of the week I was born. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> of yeah. course, I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. And, um, and just learning about the, how everyone is given a, a name according to the day of the week that they're born and how those are the names that people generally go by and how it just uh, so that it was important that that I was given my name as well which um, as you know since I was born on Friday is Efwa and so they were going Efwa Lala (laughs) 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 a lovely way to be really brought into a community Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. I think we could learn a lot from here Yeah. And going to the next question, we all know that there are exceptional organizations creating great company cultures with thriving and engaged employees. What is your take on the current company culture in general? Yeah, I mean, I think that company culture is so important. Um, It really makes or breaks people's day in and day out existence when they're at work. And I see a lot of companies that pretend to have great cultures, like they have all the accoutrements, they've got the the ping pong table, they've got the margarita machine, they've got the beanbag chairs, they've got the meditation room, uh, but they're really lacking a for real um, culture. And and um, and really, what I also see is that a lot of people's day in and day out experience or the, the culture of the company actually largely comes down to their experience with their team and their manager. And there's a, a lot of research um, that's coming out now, um, coming from Gallup, but also coming from Marcus Buckingham and ADP around how the culture of the team really trumps the culture of the, the larger organization. Interesting take, Laura. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that uh, that you're bringing it back to a, a smaller dynamic and one in which potentially the each individual can have much more influence. Yes, particularly managers. Yep, more influence than I think they're aware of. Yeah. Well, now they know. Now they know. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yes. And 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 Laura because a lot of your focus is on this, why do companies need workplace wellness? Well, I think very simply, 
workplace wellness is a really, really good idea if we consider this larger tidal wave of poor health and well-being that we're facing in the United States, but increasingly around the world. I'm so sad to see how many parts of the world now have really transitioned away from a traditional culture to a more westernized one. And um, so it's a really, really good idea to leverage the workplace, which I like to call school for adults. <laughs> it's a place where they go and they spend a lot of time and it has a tremendous influence on their lives and what they bring back to their families. And so I think it makes total sense to, to leverage that as a place to really help people to be healthier in the face of this larger toxic culture that we're all living in. But um, the problem is that there's a lot of workplace wellness out there that I think that I, I consider to be kind of check the box and in mm -hmm. some ways doing more harm than good. Um, but so that's why I always like to add the caveat that workplace wellness done well can be really good for people, good for the bottom line, and it's essential for building a winning team. It's good for productivity, good for safety, good for retention and attraction, reducing absenteeism. I mean, basically all the good stuff. Um, but again, it, that's only possible if it's done well. I agree. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 too often we do see the checkbox mm -hmm. attitude. Mm -hmm. We've given a workshop on it, on the topic. Okay, that's all we need to do. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's only a one-time momentum. Like, I believe that uh, workplace wellness should be in the DNA. It should be like a muscle that you're training on uh, maybe a weekly basis or a monthly basis, or at least raise the awareness regarding that. So thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and, and adding to that, I mean, I really think that we, what I, a lot of my conversation with organizations and with individuals within those organizations is how can we move from these standalone wellness programs to it really becoming part of the DNA as, as you talk about, Vivian? Mm -hmm. True. What three essential ingredients do companies need to use to create a thriving culture? Well, there's lots, um, but um, three that come to mind for me. One is compassion, where people feel loved and cared for and seen when they come to work, mm -hmm. as in, um, I mean, it's, it's shocking to me, but um, in, I do a lot of work with managers and I talk with them a lot about some really basic things like calling their team members by their names <laughs> and really um, appreciating them, not just for what they do, but for who they are as human beings. I think another essential ingredient is creativity. So um, creative growth, if you will. So when I, as an employee, show up at work, I feel like I'm learning and I'm growing both personally and professionally. And then courage. Um, I feel like when I come to work, I have the courage to be my full self. And a lot of that comes out of uh, feeling psychological safety, where I work in a place, uh, in a company, and on a team in which it's safe to take interpersonal risks. The three C's. The three C's, yes. Yeah, yeah. compassion, creativity, growth, and uh, courage, right, was the last, yeah, yeah. 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 And those three, by the way, the, I, I, 
uh, what was it? I guess two years ago, I delivered a, a keynote for the Wokoa Summit, and that was uh, I talked about those three C's actually. And how do you find that people, because uh, in the corporate world that mm -hmm. I find myself in, uh, the word compassion is way too soft. Mm. Yeah. Have you I, been able to bridge that in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, there's so much research coming out about compassion in the workplace, so I feel like it's easier for people to talk about it now. So, for example, um, Monica Warline and Jane Dutton, two leading researchers, they recently released a book called Awakening Compassion in the Workplace. Um, the greater uh, the Center for Greater Good at Berkeley. Um, they've been doing a lot of research around That's compassion right. in the workplace. And so um, I feel like people are, are, are more in tune with it. And, um, and, and then I also always use stories to help lead people into a conversation around compassion. And the story that I often use is one about uh, two preemie twins who were uh, born in the mid nineties. And one of them was struggling to stay alive. And um, they were two separate incubators. And there was a nurse who saw that there were these two separate incubators and she actually broke with hospital protocol and she took the stronger twin out of her incubator and put her into the incubator with her weaker twin sister. And apparently the very first thing that the stronger twin did was just take her little tiny arm and she threw it around her sister's shoulders. And almost immediately, her sister's vitals came up, her heart rate came up, and that one hug, which came to be known as the rescuing hug, literally saved the preemie twin's life. And so I use that as a way to talk about how whether we're talking about preemie twins who are struggling to stay alive or people who are in the workplace, we simply cannot underestimate the importance of compassion. This is an amazing example and I even have, uh, I'm even seeing it in front of me. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. The power of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and Laura, okay. You know, we've talked about the organizations and companies, et cetera, but what role can employees play when it comes to improving well-being? I think the, the biggest is and something that I talk with them about a lot. In fact, just yesterday, I was uh, a kickoff for this, quote, summer of wellness for a bank. And um, I talked about this idea of standing up for being the change and that we tend to frame wellness as around quote personal choices and I like to re, uh, rename those as community choices because in fact every quote personal choice that I make is actually not a personal choice but rather influences not only my friends but my friends friends and my friends 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 so whether I like it or not every single one of my choices creates a ripple effect for better or for worse and so I can, by starting with myself, um, create a movement of well-being for my friends, for my coworkers, for my family, for my community, for my nation, and even my world. Well, it makes sense. Uh, I was just reading some research on the 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 
contradictory side of that, that we get influenced in terms of weight gain, uh, bad, bad habits by the people around us. So obviously we can do the same with good habits. Exactly. We, can we can have that influence. Yeah. So the idea that behaviors travel through social networks like a virus for yes. better or for worse. Yep. And, and that's the work of uh, Chris Dacus. Yeah, good, really uh, a good illustration of, of the difference that one person can make. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I think that that's really, you know, I think a lot of people feel like, uh, and they're made to feel like this also, that engaging in their health and well-being is, is selfish, but actually it's in fact one of the most giving things that each of us can do. To ourselves and to others. Exactly, exactly. So yeah. we have been talking about workplace wellness, but a lot of people that we talk to or that I meet don't know the benefits of sustainable workplace wellness. Can you share that with our listeners? I think that a sustainable workplace wellness um, gives people hope. And I think, um, but as we were talking about before, it's really... Um, about shifting from a program to a way of life. And, and one of my favorite examples of that is Patagonia, where um, they don't have a, a workplace wellness manager or even a wellness program. Rather, wellness is integrated into everything that they do, whether it's people feeling like it's okay to uh, train for a marathon while they're at work or go for um, go out and surf during lunch or hold meetings out on the beach um, or the fact that they have this amazing child development center on site where people can bring their kids and they can also be with their kids throughout the day so really sustainable workplace wellness to me to me means it's a place where people can be human beings when they come to work rather than having to kind of check their authentic emotional self at the door when they come to work. And, um, and again, that's a place where it's threaded into everything that we do rather than it being this separate, okay, now we're going to do wellness that is disconnected from the work that we do. And it's also something that the newer generation are demanding, you know, yes. we need to be ourselves everywhere where we go. Mm -hmm. Which I'm so happy to see that that is really an expectation and that's something that's really being driven by millennials. And I, I think that's played a huge driving force behind not only workplace wellness, but also this whole idea of building thriving cultures is with this or for the best talent, uh, millennials are saying, I'm not going to work at your company unless you provide these, unless this is what my experience is going, is going to be when I'm there. So I think the bigger picture is really around employee experience, and it's something that millennials really demand, a positive uh, uh, workplace experience. And if we think in, in terms of for corporate tangible benefits, mm -hmm. uh, when you've got uh, highly motivated personnel, employees, obviously there, there is a, a, a spiral effect in terms of uh, engagement, creativity, uh, productivity, things you mentioned earlier, in fact. So exactly. It all, it all plays in, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And again, I, it, you know, the, 
I think that it seemed too much as a separate kind of thing. And, um, you know, for example, you could bring in, let's say your team is trying to come up with some innovative ideas. If you start with the movement, um, it's one of the best ways to help people to think more creatively. And, um, and so rather than thinking about it as wellness, it's like, let's uh, do something so that it helps us to be a little bit more um, creative in our, in our brainstorming. And, and how can managers stimulate that within their team? What, what, what are some tangible things that you could give to our audience to say, if you implement something like this, mm-hmm. it's going to have an effect on that? Well, I mean, I, that, this has really become a primary focus of my work is, is empowering managers to become, quote, multipliers of well-being as opposed to gatekeepers. And if a manager is not explicitly embodying and promoting well-being within their team, then they are effectively acting as gatekeepers. And what I see over and over again in these companies is um, that they're forming these wellness champion teams as the drivers of these wellness initiatives. And too often the people who are on these wellness committees are people who don't have the same level of influence as managers do. And so then you create a rift between the wellness champions who who are working so hard to try to promote wellness in their organization and then unsupported managers. And so in my view, it really needs to shift from building these kind of standalone wellness champion networks to really having it driven more through the managers. But every manager can create what I like to characterize as a little oasis of well-being for their team by engaging in three simple practices, which are do, speak, and create. So do, which is to lead by example. And so uh, there's just incredible research showing that Talk about the ripple effect for a manager. It's even greater. So for example, for every hour that a manager engages in after hours email, that roughly translates into an added 20 minutes of after hours email for time for their team members. Or, you know, if a manager is making an effort to engage in their health and well-being, that's really their team members are going to see that. And it's not about being perfect, it's about making the effort. But then the second is to speak, which is to really talk about it. And so think about the difference between yet another email blast coming from the wellness champions or from HR versus the manager sharing this with their team, whether it's here's my personal goal around my health and wellness, or here's a lunch one that's coming up on mindfulness. I'm planning on going, who would like to join me? And then third is for every manager to think about creating rituals and practices that are team-based, that in small but consistent ways help to enhance quality of life for their team members. So it might be things like simple meeting starters, like at the beginning of every meeting, uh, we take a moment of silence as they do at Eileen Fisher. Or at the beginning of every meeting, people um, reflect on three good things that have happened to them today. So this is a practice actually that a lot of hospitals have adopted as a way to counter rising rates of, of burnout with healthcare professionals. So, um, you know, it, at, even at one hospital, for example, in Michigan, they begin every meeting with what they characterize as five, three, one. So five is to take five deep breaths. Three is to name three good things, and one is to commit to one random act of kindness that day. 
great. Thank you. That, more, you can't get more concrete than that. No. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, and the thing that's so nice, I, I've had managers come up and, and they're like, oh, I can do that. I can do Speak Create. Like it's doable. It's easy. It's actionable. And it's really reinforcing the idea about um, these really small things that actually make a big difference. And these really small things like paying attention to your team members and, and getting to the, know them as people, not just as quote, human capital. Laura, what do you think about the war for talent? Is it fixable? Is there hope? Yeah, I mean, I think very, very simply it comes down to a skills gap. And um, the good news is that we as human beings have this huge need for learning and growth. Uh, there's a, a book, for example, that's titled Help Them Grow or Watch Them Go. We are going to interview that lady. Oh, you are? Oh, great. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So um, I, I think a great company to look to is Next Jump, And they have a policy there that you are hired for life. So meaning that uh, you can never be fired because they believe that much in, uh, in the possibility of learning and growth. And so um, they ask employees to spend 50% of their day, every day, on learning and growth, both personal and professional. And so I think that if, if more companies and we as a society were to take more of that kind of learning-based approach, um, then we could really start to close that skills gap. And, and to me, that's what the, the war for talent really comes down to largely. So we have an enormous skills gap, but that can be filled uh, through better learning and development. I love the example. Yeah, I do too. And, and if, if, if I think along those lines, Laura, then, then really with the talent that you have in-house by ensuring that they stay so that retention is high, uh, and and allow them to grow in numerous ways. You can you can find you can fill that those that, those skill gaps that you're referring to. You don't mm -hmm. need to always be looking outside. Mm -hmm. Is that mm -hmm. is that really how I, am I am I seeing the right picture here? Yes, and and just that learning and growth is a foundation for individuals, teams, and organizations. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and in fact, um, this was something that came up recently, Vivian, mm -hmm. uh, with, a, with a, a previous uh, guest speaker we had. But the fact, uh, she referenced the fact that there's research showing if you focus on learning and growth instead of KPIs, that productivity actually is much greater. Uh, goals are reached uh, uh, that that can't be reached if you're always just focusing on on a standard KPI. So exactly, and there's a lot of interesting research coming out around that. Uh, in particular, there's a book that just came out, uh, co-written by Marcus Buckingham and Ashley Goodall, um, called Nine Lies About How We Work. And um, they talk a lot about goal setting and kind of shifting from that to. Uh, more transparency and sharing information and um, and then really empowering people by helping them to grow more, to be able to reach the larger goals, but allowing them their own path to get there. 
Great, thank you. Laura, uh, do you have a question you'd like to ask us? Well, I think the thing that I'm always curious about is learning more about workplace wellness outside of the U.S. and what you all are seeing in uh, where you're working in terms of uh, what you're seeing in other parts of the world around how workplace wellness is approached and what the views are on it. In regarding to workplace wellness in the Netherlands, it is not there where it needs to be. The focus is, in my opinion, mainly on um, trainings, uh, putting people into courses. And when it comes to organizing workplace wellness within the company, they tend to do it a one-timer or maybe once in a half year, and that's it. And that's one of the reasons why I'm writing a Dutch book about it, to mm. create more awareness regarding this holistic way of doing employee sustainability. Yeah, and, and just to add to that, I do a lot of work in corporate. Mm -hmm. But again, it's, it's, it is as well, um, the, the, often the checkbox. Mm -hmm. And so to, yeah, to have examples that are coming out of the US, uh, and a few that you've mentioned in this interview, really helps to, to, fo to, to change the focus on, in terms of what, what how to, how to organizations approach this whole topic of workplace wellness, workplace well-being. Uh, and the other thing that I notice in the Netherlands, uh, and I hear quite a bit, is there's a, always a focus on expectations in terms of you, you, you don't hear or, or get shown the appreciation for the work that you're doing. You only hear back when things are going wrong and not when they've gone well. Mm -hmm. And that's this kind of a mindset shift that I think needs to be addressed within, within uh, organizations. Absolutely. Huh. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, the thing that I would love to share is just this notion of, of quote, taking personal responsibility for your health and, um, and well-being and, and what a company can do to help people to take greater personal responsibility. And I think it really starts with a better understanding that we as human beings are arguably less creatures of habit and more creatures of culture. And so while we've traditionally focused a lot of our efforts around habit formation on an individual level, I think we would be wise to focus more on the culture that surrounds people. And the more that organizations can start to optimize the environment and the culture around people, the the easier we make it for people to actually take personal responsibility for their health and well-being. But what I see too often is that that message keeps getting driven about taking personal responsibility when in fact the, the, the microcultures and the larger cultures that people live within literally conspire against them making the healthy choice. Well said. <laughs> and, and, and I immediately examples come up in my mind uh, of this, uh, of what I've seen and heard. Exactly. And so when I talk with employees about this, and it's not to say that there's no room for personal responsibility, is that I first and foremost want them to understand the, these kind of concentric circles of influence that they operate within, whether it's their team, the organization, their community, their 
their, the nation that they live within, just how much that influences their choices. So everything from, I remind them of things like asking them the question, what's the first thing that you learned when you were in school? You learned to sit and be still. And then we suddenly say, and that's driven into us. And then we suddenly say, you know, get active when it's been ingrained in us to be seated. Um, and so we have to understand first and foremost that there is this giant biological cultural mismatch between what we're culturally mandated to do and what we're biologically programmed to do. So we're biologically programmed to move, we're biologically programmed to eat healthy foods and whole foods, we're biologically programmed to take breaks, but we're culturally mandated to always be on, we're culturally mandated to eat what's convenient, and, uh, and we're culturally mandated to sit. So employees need to understand that they're operating within these cultural constraints. And then within that, once they understand that and see that picture, then it's like, okay, given the culture and the microculture that you operate within, now what can you do to start to take personal responsibility for your health and well-being? Now what can you do to stand up for being the change? Thank you for sharing that, Laura. And You're welcome. And thank you for sharing all of the, 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 the valuable tips and stories and knowledge um, to help people thrive in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And to the listeners, if you have any questions or comments about this episode, please share them with us on LinkedIn or, or on, our, on our website. And thank you for listening. And until next time, goodbye. Bye. Go to Thrive Podcasts, empower people to be happy before, during, and after work.